All right, welcome back. This is a Consult ROI podcast. I have Peter here, um, who is an entrepreneur who specializes in SaaS products. And he, um, he, he does right now a couple different things, everything from Diamond Tree, which is a software more geared around consultants, as well as uh, a kind of, as he calls it, a somewhat for non-for-profit, uh, which is a passion project called No Try. It helps urban adults find purpose and meaning in, that, in their own communities uh, through providing physical locations and so forth. So welcome, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to help uh, provide value in that to, to our audience. So uh, I'll just let you take the floor. Tell us about Well, it. thank you. First of all, thanks, thanks for having me. And I, I hope to provide value. We'll see, I guess. Um, yeah, so th thanks for the quick introduction. Um, yeah, like as you said, um, I have a, a software as a service product. It's a platform called Diamond Tree, uh, diamondtree.org. Um, that's kind of the, the for-profit um, th main thing that I'm doing. My brother and I founded the company um, a few years ago. It started something a little bit different and it's kind of transformed over time. And then uh, more recently, I just, I founded an organization called No Tribe. And uh, it was just based, it's kind of a very long-term passion project based on um, things that really I've experienced my entire life as problems that I have seen, in some cases experienced, in some cases just witnessed and others that, um, that I think is a, is a felt need that's growing and that um, hopefully can help address that need somewhat. And so what is your why? Um, what, what really made you get to where you are right now? What, uh, uh, what made you, out of all the things that you could do in life, uh, choose to develop software? Yeah, so um, my, uh, my background, uh, when, I, when I was started working, basically, um, well, when I started working, I, was, I worked for a, uh, a place called Pudgy's Fried Chicken. But once I got past those initial teenage jobs, uh, I started working in technology. So I was doing network support um, and all sorts of different things like that. Um, and uh, I, the, the early part of my career was all technology and I really liked technology. But the purpose, I, I'm, I was never someone who was like technology for technology's sake, which is, which is fine. I mean, lots of the best people that I've worked with or hired are people that just love the problems of technology. So there's nothing wrong with that, but I just wasn't that person. The, the purpose part of it really mattered to me. So um, I've always had a big interest in education and education reform. I was someone who, when I went through school, uh, really had a, uh, my, my internal feeling uh, through much of my education process was a lot of this was designed without actually my the respect for my time or my best in, in my best interest. There's other interests being served. So I actually, I mean, from the time, you know, it's funny when I, I moved to San Diego right after undergrad and I had this job working for a big government contractor and we literally did like nothing. I mean, it was just, it was just kind of like a prime example of like wasteful go gov government spending. It was like this company had a huge contract, no work to do. And so I actually wrote this manifesto while I was on the job. My first, I just moved to San Diego. It's just all about education reform. I mean, it was really long, um, but it's just thought that I had. So, so, I mean, these kind of things were churning around in my head. And then after a few years in San Diego, I decided to go to graduate school and I, I chose educational technology as um, 
I right before I moved, I'd done some teaching jobs. So I've actually taught at different levels and different things and had some kind of crazy experiences there. Um, but uh, I went to graduate school for educational technology and uh, I moved to Austin, Texas to go to the University of Texas. And while I was going through that program, I uh, started working for the university in a lab that turned out to be a really, really um, impactful job on me. But so um, getting to the software side of things, that's kind of my journey was uh, technology at first, but then mixing that with education and, and how, how those two things can kind of work together. Okay. So really you saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of sounds like you really saw that you could help be a change for education uh, and fix some of those problems you saw by developing a solution oriented around um, helping or enabling the consultants and that to, to train other people. Well, and the, the software product came later on. I would say that kind of, that kind of just grew out of um, releasing a product and seeing who used it and pivoting just normal kind of uh, entrepreneurial type activities. Um, but, but what my attraction to the field in general was absolutely um, the, the, the feeling as though things could be done better. Uh, and when I, when I first started grad school, this was, this was at a point uh, where a lot of these kind of big ideas were being thrown around about reform. Cause obviously uh, in the United States, university education has exploded in price. So people are just starting to talk about legitimate online learning. They uh, massive open online courses were just coming out. So Coursera and those type of products. Um, so th this was kind of a time where people were feeling like a lot is going to change in a short amount of time. And the reality was very little changed from, from the university perspective. And, and I, I would say this last year in COVID has done more to change education just because of necessity than the previous 20 years have in a lot of ways, um, because you just had a massive influx. It's not all, and it's, it's, it's not all been great by any stretch of the imagination, but, it, but it's been forced, the, you know, change has been forced. And so I think it's going to um, have some permanent effects on education for sure. Um, but one of the things you saw is remote learning doesn't work as well for younger kids. You know, it, it, you have to kind of reach a certain threshold of autonomy and that kind of thing for it to really work well and the socialization aspect. Hey, have you, have you, would you agree with that from, I know your kids are younger, but from what you've witnessed, would you, would you agree with that? Um, well, yeah, because when you're younger and that, you just click through. Um, so even though you're being tested in that, it's just a matter of like clicking through to, and whatever helps them to get through to the next step is what they do yeah um, kids are more very elementary like problem solvers um, at heart so there's not really a ton of thinking critical thinking on that sense it's very it's critical thinking of okay how can i get through this how can i get it done which is awesome for some problem solving and that but it's not so great when it's intentionally giving you options for, for making a critical choice or to right. you, right. you and so that becomes the the problem um, and I also where I see a lot of issues in education uh, is because they again it's not uh, well there's it's a multifaceted issue but the, to say the least <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, well, the biggest problem I saw, especially when I was going to college, and that is because it didn't matter what was right 
or wrong. It just mattered what the teacher thought was right or wrong. Right. Um, and I, I was one of those kids, I'll be frank, that, um, and it's not like I was intentionally being confrontational with the teachers. I just had them tell me a certain solution. And I was like, okay, so if that's like, I wanna know why that's the solution. This, 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 and this all contradict you. So why your solution? Why is it like yours the one that I should do? And it wasn't challenging their authority. They always saw it that way, which made my life a living hell because nobody liked me. Mm -hmm. um, but the main reason that I was questioning it is because I was like, okay, I'm not saying that you're right or wrong. I'm just asking, okay, I want the information or the data behind it so I can make an educated decision on what is right or wrong, whereas they just wanted to blind, like, have you blindly accept it, um, which is yeah. why I got, great, got along great with my philosophy teachers and psychology teachers, not so great with anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Which subject did you have the most problem with? Um, economics would be a good one um the, the teacher he he was from extent he had owned several houses in that which was crazy and that, that he was able to to afford all of that on a, a like a very small college salary at the first yeah. time place uh, but he graded me on notes a number of different times uh, and the main reason that he didn't get a longer click uh, was just because every single time I would turn in my notes, he would flunk me. And I used like military shorthand mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, he would look at it and say, well, this is, this is not the notes or anything. So F and I was like, okay, well, this means this, this means this, like the notes are all there. And he's like, no, it has to be copied verbatim off the board. Yeah. And I was like, what's the point of that? Like, and it's like it is i'm still taking the notes he's like it doesn't matter if you don't copy it verbatim off the board then you flunk and i told him I was like, he, okay, he just so sounds like a bad teacher <laughs> yeah so it sounds like it, well and i even told him straight up i was like is it so is this class for me to learn something or is it to stroke your ego mm. and, well then i that, that's not going to set up a, a healthy uh a back and forth probably after that <laughs> Well, it's a valid question in my mind and that is like, okay, if, if it's for me to learn something, then like, I want to know what the lesson is behind why you're doing that. Yeah. So I can make it and say, okay, are you doing a Mr. Miyagi stuff and that where you're teaching me to be more disciplined? I mean, he kind of yeah. come up with yeah. a thousand different answers to satisfy that. Yeah. But instead he got very confrontational. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So, so that, that's a, uh, that's super interesting. I mean, there's, there's a lot of topics baked into there. Um, but um, one, one of the main things though is, and you were kind of talking about the different disciplines is one of the, the hard things about university education, especially is it's kind of thought about as this one thing, but it's really not. I mean, the different departments and depending on what kind of career track you have or where you're trying to get to, the, the education goals and the, the way the departments operate are totally different from one another. I mean, you talk about a philosophy department. Philosophy, I, I, I took a lot of philosophy classes too. I really, I, I also really like them. Um, but the, the hard part about the philosophy stuff is obviously there's not many philosophy jobs at all other than teachers. And even those jobs are very hard to get at the institutions you'd want to teach at. Um, 
or you know people do it because they're doing pre-law right and it kind of helps them do critical thinking type thing my my favorite class in college as an undergrad was my critical thinking class i i, I loved it i really the teacher really had a big impact on me i just these are tools that just really resonated with me um and uh and you know, it's it's one of the things that's really really interesting, as as kind of we in our country what we're experiencing have been experiencing this increased tribalism. Is these are kind of like all the exact things that critical thinking is meant to sort of push back against. And when when I was at university, when I was working for the University of Texas, uh, I was a part of a massive uh, program to incorporate critical thinking into the college classroom because one of the big uh, things about the at least the rhetoric of university administrators is well this is where you learn to th think critically um, and so we would talk about you know how do you actually incorporate critical thinking into college classrooms but kind of just what you said with the economics department there um, one of the difficulties with that is um, there's different levels of politics baked into different departments. And the whole, the whole point of critical thinking is that it, it's a, it's a, it's a way to break out of biases, you know, so you can actually get to the true answer versus whatever, but in, in departments where there's politics baked in and, and it's just, you know, a reality in a lot of departments, almost all departments in university, but more, some more so than others. Um, so you're teaching critical thinking in one hand. But on the other hand, you're saying, this is the list of acceptable answers. And if you divert from this, um, then, then you're wrong, you know? And, and it's, not really a, it's not really a true open, a good teachers can, can have that in their classes, but it's increasingly difficult, you know, with all the, with all the issues going on. And, and, and um, it's increasingly difficult for someone to have a good faith discussion. And, I, and I'm curious about your philosophy classes, because this was, this was the case in mine. One of the hard things about a philosophy class where you have discussion is there's usually one student who loves to talk and they're not necessarily the person you want to hear from the most. And they, they can kind of dominate uh, a conversation in, in, in a way that kind of take, robs the stage from some other more thoughtful people. Did that happen in your classes? Um, to be honest in that, just because, it, so I, I mean, doctors would blame it on Asperger's or whatever else. You're, getting, you're about to say you were that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was probably that guy and that to be frank um i mean there was a couple and that and i i in, was intrigued to hear different points of view um and so but the teachers as far as i was concerned had the most radically different view which is why i was the most interested in engaging with her for sure um because i mean she was very very liberal very very um uh, she she was very out, very outwardly lesbian in that, which was very different for the area and the culture that I grew up in, um, which is why I was fascinated, honestly. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of what what made her tick, you know, what made that? Because it, for me, I always thrive during discomfort, in that, mm. and and because I have no filter. I usually will ask a lot of questions that probably not necessarily are the greatest thing to ask all the time, but it also allowed me to kind of break into kind of the, the really the root, root principles and that, or what made a person tick, what made yeah. 
them believe what they believe. And uh, I, I gained a lot of value from that. Yeah. I, I mean, if you really wanted to go back to it, it really helped me understand that um, sexuality is a choice, uh, which a lot of people will try to argue that all day. But the re reality is, is that most of the decisions are subconscious. Um, it's a subconscious set of preferences which develop throughout our life um, based on the reaction and the, the need for fulfillment in different voids of our life. So if we, um, and, and that's why a lot of people will hypothesize at least that like, okay, if you don't have a present father or something that you're gonna be outward and gay or whatever else. And that, that's not true. Um, because there's plenty of people that, that they just naturally like different things. Like they, they like the color pink, they like this. And I mean, even I like the color pink in that, but I was also colorblind. So it didn't, didn't mean much. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people would have thought that I was, you know, I was very feminine in that because I liked pink in that as a younger kid. Um, but I learned to kind of reject that color as a young kid because I also got picked on and I didn't like necessarily what it was associated with. And other people, because um, they kind of tried society, and this is the problem is and society contributes to a lot of this because they say, hey, if you like X, Y, and Z, you fill or fit in with this criteria. So we're automatically going to categorize you. You're not going to have the chance to choose where you want to be. We're going to choose for you where you're going to go. Um, and because of that, it definitely creates a limited mindset and yeah. causes kids to think that they have to conform um, in order to fit in. And that, uh, and it's, it kind of goes back to the principle that high school never ends. Mm. Everybody thinks that they have to make those changes to, uh, again, be popular or do whatever. And the reality is you, you look back on high school, most of the kids that were quote unquote popular are the kids that were baby daddies or moms before they even graduated or um, they, they don't get very far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know what, you know, actually, I mean, to bring it back to high school, what's, what's super interesting to me is how many people that you are, you'll meet in your adult life that were had some sort of really sometimes traumatic, sometimes not as traumatic, but just were really impacted by high school. And um, they carried that with them their entire life, right? I mean, that informed just an emotional pressure that it put on them because they had a bad experience in there. And I, I mean, so one of the things about- The reason that a lot of us hate the subjects that we hate or that we love the subjects that we love and that it's associated usually with the teacher yeah which is why i believe so much and i apologize for interrupting you that's okay um so i i kind of believe in two so there's a theory of knowledge in that that basically says that you can anybody can achieve two levels of knowledge um so there's a level of understanding or a level of passion mm. everybody should at least be able to get to a level of understanding on a topic and if you can't or if you absolutely hate the subject and withdraw from it that's typically a sign that there's some subconscious trauma associated with it. Either a teacher that wasn't willing to be understanding with you, that um, kind of made a left bitter taste in your mouth, 
whatever it is associated with that, it kind of causes some subconscious resentment. And it's the same thing with our personal preferences or life choices, what we like in different vehicles or cars or whatever else. It's all, um, it's all subject and associated with all these subconscious little memories or traumas and passions or, or so forth that, uh, that we've had throughout our life, which then this cultivation of experiences this cultivation of preferences then establishes kind of what we call quote-unquote personality mm -hmm. well yeah but it, but in addition you're talking about the importance of the teacher um in addition to the importance of the teacher is also the importance of the curriculum that that teacher is teaching just just to give a concrete example uh when i went through high school i took physics like a lot of people do and in the physics in high school, you learn a lot about calculations, you know, the basic physics calculation, Newtonian physics and all those things. Well, the number of people in the world that do physics calculations as a, uh, for a vocation is tiny. I mean, very, very infinitesimally small. So you have a high schooler who this might, for a lot of them, this is the only exposure to the subject they're ever gonna get. And what you've decided to do is teach them calculations. And you, you see this in chemistry and other things too, like they'll teach you the, the elementary calculation, the technical side of the field um, versus the conceptual side. So right when iTunes University came out, um, which I don't even think people use iTunes, I don't even know it's still a thing, it probably is, but, but it was, you know, people could download podcasts uh, from these great lectures from different ones. I found this one called Physics for Future Presidents and I just downloaded it. And I love this class so much that I listened to it literally like five different times, like, cause they put the new sections up each semester. But this guy's philosophy, he was a physics professor at uh, UC Berkeley, uh, which is a great physics department. His whole philosophy was the people in this classroom are gonna be leaders in the future. You're not gonna be physicists. If you need to hire a physicist to do a physics calculation, you will, but you guys aren't gonna be physicists. So what I want to teach to you is the con conceptual understanding that helps you understand the world. Like that's what he wanted to, to impart on them. And so there was no calculations in the class, but it was all conceptual. And the thing is like, as you listen to this class and he's explaining things to you, you realize how little, even though we're educated, you know, uh, through our high school and, and some college and stuff, you realize the huge gaps in conceptual understanding we have about the way the world works because of the way, the, the, because of the curriculum. Right. And um, and so, you know, like I said, the, the education reform topic is a very, very deep one. I probably have an opinion on every single part of it, um, but that's that's definitely <clears throat> excuse me. That's definitely one of them is the importance of the curriculum and, and choosing stuff that, to help people equip them to conceptually understand the world in a way. I mean, another one to me for like there's two there's two like things for me that it's, it's kind of criminal high schoolers don't get exposed to. One is a real understanding of, of money and building wealth. Like just, just here's the actual concepts that you need to understand for why this, why person A is wealthy and person B is not wealthy. And just understanding them, you know, just taught in a very straightforward way. You know, you talking about your professor who owned homes and that kind of thing. Um, but that's not part of the formal curriculum, right? And, and, and how many people just immediately have trouble with money for some of their entire lives, but for some people just the, the beginning part of their lives until they actually learn how things work. And secondly is relationships. You know, you, you mentioned uh, having like kids, you know, unwanted kids and stuff. I mean, like all those things about like 
how do you actually navigate romantic relationships? What are wise and unwise decisions? How do you now, I mean, these are just two massively important things for people. And sometimes they get it at home, sometimes they don't. So I, I worked at a special ed high school for a little while. And some of those families were in really bad shape, right? I mean, the, the things that the mom and dad were supposed to teach the kids, that just wasn't going to happen. They, they either were going to get exposed to it in the school or they weren't going to get exposed to it, right? And the things they needed to understand was way more about, you know, navigating things like relationships and, you know, not making decisions that derail your life, you know, th decisions like uh, substance abuse and all those kind of things. Because when you're young and you don't know what's going on, you can make decisions that have consequences that extend decades. And um, so anyways, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tangent, but um, it's, it's definitely something. No, it's a very about. valid point in that. And, and it's definitely a topic that I think is the reason um, it, it has a lot of value to a lot of people and more in the sense that, that when you are teaching your kids, because I can't tell you the number of times that, that I was working with IEP students or kids with learning disabilities. Yeah. And they would say, hey, this kid is violent. This kid acts out of class, blah, blah, blah. And every time without fail, I found it was the teacher's fault, not mm -hmm. the, the student. The student was acting out because it's better to get negative attention than no attention at all. Yeah. Uh, everybody just wants to feel loved and accepted in some mm -hmm. aspects. And so that is something that we all are striving to and not subconsciously that we strive to find uh, is just be loved and accepted. Um, and there's uh, some of us that will try to argue and say, well, no, that's not true. And that's because you've kind of built up this thick skin or walls up in your life and that because you've been hurt numerous yeah. times. And as you get hurt, you build up walls and that it's the same reason that you build up calluses. But if you want to be able to feel stuff or be more in touch or be able to open up a new side and, and so forth, then you have to, to be that. Um, but I can't tell you the number of kids. Also, I would have the students um, or teachers, or, well, sorry, it would be the students that would tell me like, hey, I would really like to do X, Y, and Z or something. Um, or I'm, you know, they're kind of all over the place, especially when they're kids, they're choosing a variety of different topics that they would like. And I could usually articulate exactly or figure out exactly what they wanted in that and figure out just by having a dialogue or figuring out how to communicate with that person in their communication style. Um, but I would see so many parents um, and I actually just funny enough, while I was in California, um, had a conversation with one of my Lyft drivers and um, <laughs> Uber just on this. They're like, I really wish my son would just pick a topic um, yeah. and do that because I'm getting so frustrated of spending all this money on teaching him an instrument or whatever else and they just throw all that money away yeah. and they they I just feel like I'm dumping and wasting so much money I would just wish they would stick with something yeah I'm like okay that's great that uh, I understand what you're trying to do because you're trying to make them conform to that that degree so that you can achieve some level of success as as you know the world yeah, but I would really like I'm gonna actually challenge your principle of thinking here. Um, I would actually argue that you just need to help figure out or help him figure out what he's passionate about in music. What keeps drawing him to very um, various different topics within music, and as you establish 
hey, this is what's important within this criteria. This is why um, these topics are so meaningful for me. As you could do into music theory, you could get into um, music composition, you can get into all these different things. But if, as you figure out and have that just communication style, which most parents don't have with their kids, is just figuring out, it's like, okay, what is engaging about this? What makes you appeal? And just literally asking those so simple, simple, basic questions that then allows that um, you as a parent to communicate with your kids a lot more on that. Um, and then it also allows you to communicate with who you your clients are as well. Um, so there's the tie in that whether you're a single guy or a family guy and that yeah. it has application to both um, because it's so critical to to be able to communicate effectively figure out what their both their pain points are yeah. as well as where they're trying to go or what they're trying to accomplish yeah. which then enables you to either figure out like hey the solution that i have will solve this and here's yeah. why because everyone says like oh hey i have this x pain point in my business or X pain point in my personal life I need to solve. And oftentimes that isn't the pain point, but it's helping them to understand it and communicating that effectively and help And if they don't feel it's the pain point, then it's not a pain point. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's the a huge yeah. thing. So anyways, that's kind of what I feel is, is provides the most value, at least uh, from, my background and my my experience and it sounds like in yours in a lot of aspects is um is when the teacher just teaches again with the mindset that um i just have to get the curriculum and i just need to shovel this crap down your throat because that's what the state or whatever says then it's not effective communication yeah uh, it's not effective teaching and that's where i think there's a huge thing um that a lot of teachers, are, and not, this is not every teacher, so I'm not bashing or going on a national bash the teacher day. Um, but I do feel like a lot of them definitely almost feel hopeless because they don't know how to communicate it effectively necessarily. And they just get that content. They're like, you know what, I'm just going to knock out the curriculum. I don't care. I'm here for the stable paycheck. It's very yeah, easy. well, it's a difficult job. I mean, it's a difficult it's job. And, and, um, I think it's an unnecessarily difficult job. You know, one of the things is sometimes you'll, especially when you talk about schools, I mean, so I've taught, I have lots of friends that are teachers, you know, one teaching job versus another are just night and day, you know, teaching in a difficult urban center, urban center school versus some private school that caters to wealthy kids. They're two different, totally different experiences that both have the word teacher in front of them. But other than that, they're, they're very unrelated. But we, we have a lot of people, a very significant percentage of the population that's taught in public schools in the United States. And especially in the, the urban schools, um, you know, the, the money's, schools are locally funded. So, you know, parents move to nicer neighborhoods so that the tax dollars there go to nicer schools. And that's just kind of, and if they can afford to do it, that's usually the way it works. And the parents who can't afford private school in the urban environments, their kids go to bad schools. I mean, there's exceptions to that, but that's the generally the way it works in this country. Um, and to ask a, a, a person to be an excellent teacher in some of these really challenging environments. Like you're really asking for a superhero. Yeah, you can find the person and you can make a movie about it to inspire people, but they're really a one in a thousand type of person. Yeah. 
And you don't want to you don't want to create an education system that depends on one in a thousand type people that are willing to sacrifice bigger paychecks and prestige and all those different things in order to um, in order to you know take that job because that's not a very scalable solution. No, I, I absolutely agree with you, um, it, and and that's kind of what perpetuates or continues the problem of generational poverty. Absolutely. Um, and, and why I've, I got so passionate about trying to help people break that. Um, that's actually main, one of the main reasons I started this podcast because it's like, if I knew now what I, if I, if I knew then what I know now, right, then I could have been a lot further. I could have had a lot more success. And so um, it, it was like, okay, well, all this knowledge, and I, I think knowledge in general should be free. Yeah. Um, I believe that that portion should always be free. Um, but also at the same time, I also see the value in having that one-on-one -on -one consulting mm -hmm. with people um, to be able to, again, to break down those personal barriers. Because mm -hmm. um, we don't break down those personal barriers in each of our minds and, that, and if we're not teachable, um, then we're never going to progress. Uh, and that's also why I kind of have these kind of deeper discussions with people. Um, and I have no problem getting into political discussions because I, I'm curious on the individual and that, yeah. if they are still teachable or not. Yeah. Because you immediately figure out who is and who isn't. And I get that, especially when you choose a political discussion that they're kind of battered on that. Yeah. So yeah. much in that, that it's a very sensitive subject. But if they, they can handle it effectively and communicate it, then that tells me that they're still willing to progress. They're still willing to learn. They're still willing to perceive and, uh, and understand different points of view, um, which is, to me, shows that they are in a state of progression as opposed to stasis. Well, yeah, and, and I had to go a little bit, I dive into that a little bit more in that. So that, that theme, which you just talked about, like who's teachable, I'd actually even say it's it's a little bit more specific is and individuals are typically teachable in some areas and not in others. Right. And and so for like you, let's say you're a new homeowner and you're trying to plant a lawn and you don't know what grass seed to plant. Right. You're going to be teachable in that because you it's, it's not tied to your status or identity as to grass seed. OK. But then if all of a sudden we start hitting a topic that it, that your identity is based off or your status is based off your opinions that's when you hit that roadblock of, this is the area in which this person, their mind is closed off because if, I, if, if they change their mind here, I've threatened either their identity or I've threatened their status within their group. So, so actually one of the fundamental things that drove No Tribe that, that is, is I, like I said, I'm drawn to critical thinking. So I'm super interested in when is someone's mind pliable on what she choose and when, when they aren't. I grew up outside Washington, DC. So I, I was exposed to politics from the very beginning, I mean, just, I was immersed in that, you know, in that world. And um, so politically, I am like, I would almost call myself defiantly independent politically, uh, not, not out of disinterest, but because of actual deep understanding of where I disagree with the political, the, our two established political parties that we have in this country. Um, I really think about things at an issue and issue level, and I change my mind about things. But tied to that is, 
is a lack of a strong identity on political issues, right? I mean, there's not a political issue you would bring up. The closest thing I have to like political identity is, is education reform. I, if, if I laid out my today's political point of views, that would be the one you'd be like, okay, that one's probably the most extreme. But even that, there's not any, there's not any particular thing in there that I'm married to. It's just something I've thought so much about and been immersed in. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's not because like, I, I believe, you know, just in charter schools or just whatever, you know, I don't have that kind of thing. But the key, the key thing to me is the way kind of human beings work is they're very tribal and they find they, they form in one or more groups. And then within whatever their group is, there's a value system that determines the hierarchy in that group. And so many people are kind of trapped in these kind of status games where they're trying to climb the hierarchy, but they're actually that that the the value system is not something they've actually thought about, right? It's just like I want to be a professor. These are the rules of the game to become a professor, and I'm just playing it. And it's so competitive. I'm just running my wheels day and day and day out just to try to rise above. But maybe if they stopped and reflected, they realized. There's a value system that determines the status in this in this group of, you know, this academic department or whatever. And maybe those values don't match with my values. And so, so much of my journey and what I, you know, observe about the world is people that are that are playing these kind of status games with value systems that may or may not match with their own, but they don't reflect on it. They're, they're too busy trying to climb the status in their group to actually step back and be like, is this what I want? Is this, is this who I am and who I value? So I think that's all tied to what you were talking about, which is why is this person's mind so made up, you know, and they're inflexible in this. And usually it's because you can tie it back to, oh, because them changing their mind on this has a deeper impact on who they are, either how they see it themselves. It always comes down to a personal trauma or something that they've walled off. Um, it's the same thing that when we have a bruise in that um, and somebody pokes that area, yeah, you can't help but flinch or retract. That. We, yeah. we naturally, as a species, love and seek comfort. Mm -hmm. But it's only through discomfort that we grow. So it's a yeah. very in interesting paradigm, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's why I always look at it as like, okay, well, um, and that's why also whenever somebody personally attacks me on an issue or something that I always, I know never take it personally. And I, I kind of like you, a lot of my principles are based on, I understand that with knowledge, it has to have these core values. It has to have like open communication. It has to have critical thinking and it has to be the principle that you could be wrong Yeah. Um, in any conversation. Um, and so whenever somebody and that's why I think it's so funny that so many different ideas in business or personal life are so radicalized. Well, so it's either evolution exists or God exists. Both mm. can exist. Right. Which right. is idiotic. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know any programmer, for example, that doesn't automate certain sequences in their programming. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, 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 and going back, you know, to someone who, who, um, who has that sort of dogmatic point of view, you'll, you know, a lot of times you'll just find they're a part of a group in which changing their mind on that issue would actually hurt their standing in that group quite a bit, you know, for them to be like, you know what, you're right. You know, I hadn't thought about it that, that like that before. 
I, you've opened my mind to it and I'm, I'm going to, I'm thinking differently, you know, that change of mind, that's easy to do when that doesn't attack your status. Or like I said, I gave the grass seed example, it's just trivial in your life. But when it's like, oh, this actually means I'm going to get thrown out of the church if I start saying this, you know, then, then all of a sudden you can kind of see, or my, or my entire value system crumbles with it because in my way of thinking, it's dependent on that pillar. And if that pillar goes, you know, whether or not it should be or not, my value system depends on pillar. If that pillar goes, I go through a massive identity crisis because my whole life is based on that. You know, that's, that's when you start to really get. Especially when we've been raised in a church and thinking like that's what we have to believe as opposed to like what we truly believe ourselves. Yeah. That's, I think what creates an identity crisis in so many people. And so as opposed to realizing like, Hey, there could be some truth at least in the principles and that even on, on a very basic level, right? Um, a lot of religions have the same four principles, like be a good person, don't steal, don't murder, don't everything else. So it doesn't matter if you're Islam, um, uh, Christian, Buddhist, whatever else, they all have the exact same core values. And that's what people don't understand. And if you understand those core values, those are universal principles that they've known have worked over thousands and thousands of years. So those hold true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, whether your justification behind those principles, that's a whole different matter. And that's a whole like long debate that we can get right. into. But if you understand those basic principles, like, Hey, either way, these are good principles to apply to your life, um, to be uh, like to, to love, to be kind, to be charitable, um, everything else, then we understand and we can make progression in our life. Right. Um, but if we just repulse and say, hey, you know, there, there's no, there's no such thing and everything else. And we shut down different ideas. Now right. we've essentially damned ourselves. Yeah. Well, basically made it to where we cease to progress as a person. Right. Um, and that's when um, I always, I, I have no problem, unfortunately, sometimes poking that. Um, but I think that it, it, there is a tactful way to poke those um, pain points yeah with a, being a little bit more gentle about it and saying hey you know you might want to take care of this and that or address the issue like your arm's broken and that you might want to put it in a cast yeah um no that, 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 which was which was while i was laughing about your comment about uh is this is this here to stroke your ego because because you know that's a way of putting it that well, you'd be like, oh, that's true, right? You, from your perspective, is like, I'm just asking a true question, but but it's like it's a way of asking it, in which you're pretty much guaranteed to get an aggressive response back. You know what I mean? In that particular case, unless you're talking with somebody like me, and that then it's a whole different ballgame. But the thing is, that you can't, and that's where I think the principle of like treat others as you want to be treated yeah. is very very wrong. <laughs> it, because it, because 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 you can take things that other people can't take. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you can communicate different ways um, and, and granted the core of that, I do believe is correct. Yeah. Like, right, right. You want to be like, treat people kindly. You do want to, you know, basically, but you will not communicate the same way. You will not treat them in all aspects the same way, but the same rudimentary things of just again, kind charity, everything else, those are universal policies that apply across everything. Yeah. Um, so it's the same thing with that. Um, and that's what I had to learn. Um, and that's also why I forced myself into sales because I understood that I needed to develop that skill set. Um, because community, um, best known 
feet's best service in that, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Every time without fail, it will be. Yeah. Um, that's why some of the most best, uh, some of the best products that we know out in the world are not ever the best products for us as individuals or anything else. It's the most marketed. Right most associated with different things. Um, and so as we understand that, then we also know like, hey, we need to solve these pain points in, that, in our own lives to allow us to be more productive. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and this isn't saying that it's for everyone. Like, right, it, I mean, entrepreneurship is not for everyone, but if you want to communicate and if you want to be successful in business, you have to be able to figure out how to communicate effectively. Yeah. Like there's, no if ands or buts about it yeah but i also like to take the humility approach in that of when i could be wrong yeah um i absolutely love it and that's why again not to get too political here but that's what was so infuriating about trump and that is that he just had that ego still embedded in him yeah um and he still you know i mean it worked very well and that for best known right he created a lot of radical responses that and did very well in re um, reality TV. And he was still in that mindset of what works for publicity, not so great for political. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so he did not have that candor and that or the ability to accept when he was wrong um, and take that responsibility because a lot of the times, especially in, in certain business transactions, especially in the circles that he was running in, you, you BS it or fake it till you make it. And that's a very, I think, common misconceived business practice. It did yeah. work for him in that. And I do believe that there was a time and a place for that in certain regards, especially if you are talking with a client, like if I'm talking to you as one of my clients um, and I start saying, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And that then you're automatically going to have lack of faith in me yeah. As, a, yeah. as a provider or and it's the same with any of those relationships. And so there is a certain point, but what I've also taught people is like, hey, if you do find yourself in that, it's okay just as much to say, hey, I don't might not have the answer, but I do know who does, and I do have access to those resources on my team to make sure that I get you the right answer. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit here and BS you and give you all these, you know, fabricated responses. I want to make sure that I get you the the resources and tools. Um, and I think that you truly build more respect that way if you take that approach in business and, that, and take that more, um, again, teachable approach. Um, well, it, yeah, and, and, and the other thing is industry-wise, I mean, Trump made his money in Manhattan real estate in the like 70s and 80s. I mean, it, that's a totally different thing. Very, it's not, that's that's not that's 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 a game in which honestly things like cheating help you you know i mean that it, it, it's just it's just that that you know there there's a sort of an idealized version of like the type of businesses you and i do which is service-based businesses where we earn our customers and that kind of thing man had real estate during that time was not like that you know it was much more of a like you part of the game was manipulating the political situation, manipulating your worth in terms of getting loans. I mean, there's deception helps you <laughs> in, that, in that game. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a clean business, maybe more so now. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, the, the reality is certain businesses, uh, unethical things help people get to the top. 
And uh, not all businesses are like that. Some businesses are really, you know, established trust with the customer and stuff like that. Some businesses are you have customers because the customers don't have any other choice, you know, and, and, and that's just the unfortunate reality of, of some stuff. And uh, I would say real estate well, can be like that against Trump and everything. It's, it's not just him. It's almost every single person that now there's ones that have learned to do it with candor. Like Obama yeah. was very well spoken. He's very yeah. well polished and everything else, but he could just as easily backhand you and like behind a back door or like a closed door. Sorry. Um, and he had no problem in that shutting uh, people down or dabbling in the shades of gray. Yeah. Like deep yeah. sense of gray and that behind the, the closed door. Um, but he could communicate and he was a lot more well-loved and respected in a lot of regards because he could articulate his views and that's so eloquently. Right. And so that's why it's like, if you can take some of that, just some of those core principles, like, hey, here's what made him successful in that. You don't have to dabble in the shades of gray though. And right, so, right. It's so frustrating. Like I have a brother right now that he's does car sales and the most successful, and he talks about this all the time, is the people that are most successful in car sales are the people that find that shades of gray that they're comfortable with. Um, that just stretch that and, and just allow it to accept because it's a commodity. Yeah. Um, because if you just play stupid that you don't know about the car issues or something like that, then you're more likely to get the sale. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is an unfortunate, but that's the reality. Um, yeah. And you almost have to put your personal bias aside and just say, hey, look, my job is to introduce them to the car. They can make the education, uh, educated decision. Leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Don't step in. Don't. Um, and that was my problem always is like the service based is you always step in and try to think of what's best for them or what you know what, what you think is best for them. So that I think there's a fine line to be learned that you can at the same time like educate them or just guide them on the path it's like hey here's a few options that may work and let them make the choice because at the end of the day the client needs to be the one that makes the choice and that right. um, and all you are is is kind of that more of that consultant if you will yeah and they yeah. will learn in that and it's not saying to knowingly put somebody at a risk or mm -hmm. anything else it's to say like hey you don't know their current situation or all the different um obstacles around that um like for example it, it, going back to car sales um you might see that hey they're willing to pay a slightly lower price point for a vehicle that might have a few odd and ends nicks or scratches or whatever else that if you don't bring up it's not a big deal for them because they don't see those little nicks or tears or anything it does, isn't important but if you bring it up and you hammer it into them well, now it's a big deal. You've created yeah. an elephant out of nothing. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. I don't think I'm well equipped for car sales, to be honest. <laughs> I don't, I, I just, most of us are not, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. It, it definitely takes a certain kind of candor and a certain type of person to that. Um, but it, what would you say is the most influential thing that you've learned in your life? What What is something that has helped you in the most monumental I, I know for me i like we've kind of been talking about it where it was like okay you know if they're sensitive about an issue then it's there's pain points behind it mm -hmm. and that allows me to be a little bit more candid like if they you know you poke somebody and they respond 
of whether violently or um, they retract and wall themselves off, you now know that there's a sensitive issue behind it and you can either figure it out or move forward and it allows you to communicate more effectively. Um, also figuring out with the passions and that, like if, if I, and it's, it applies it. So the same principles that I was taking to apply against kids, right? Is the same principle I apply against myself. So if I'm doing a lot of different things and a lot of different topics, then I have to have that discussion with myself or be the parent to myself. Yeah. Say, okay, what do I like about each of these subjects that keeps drawing me in? What am yeah. I engaging with in that? And then how can I incorporate some of these core values into one subject or um, how can I apply it? And you might not always have the answer. And it's through gaining and continuing that knowledge cycle that we allow us to break through some of those barriers of progression. But yeah. I'd like to hear from you, I, again, is more what those were for you. Yeah, I would say um, a few things. One of the things that I would say is is kind of like going back to the critical thinking thing was one of the reasons that I um, really like that class so much is, is temperamentally, that's what I'm like. I, I'm, I'm not someone who ever really felt um, drawn to certain identities. I, you know, I, like I said, I'm a very independent person. So I'm in, in, in independence physically, but also independent in terms of thinking too. I really value the ability to change my mind and not, and not have my world come crumbling down because I, I thought A and now I think B. So I think the whole process of understanding why critical thinking is difficult for certain people, again, in certain areas of their lives, and not as difficult in other areas of their lives. Just unpacking all of that and understanding that, uh, I think is one big thing. I think the other big thing for me is really understanding just kind of the core things that um, make people mentally you know, healthy. Uh, there's lots of different aspects, but, but I think the three most important ones for adults is um, community growth and purpose. So if you have a, a group of people that you care about and that genuinely care about you, you know, and that's a community. And then if you're, you're on an upward trajectory in some way that matters to you, you know, like one of the things that I, what I, the examples I'll give is like, you can be in good shape and getting fatter and you'll feel bad. And you can, or you could be in bad shape, but you, you're on a diet plan or, or exercise plan that's successful and you can see the incremental progress and you'll feel good. You know, even though objectively the one person is in better shape than the other person, they're mentally worse off because their trajectory is this way versus this way. And humans are super sensitive to that. What's your trajectory? You know, uh, and, 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 you know, did I, did I incrementally move a little bit today in a way that I can see towards the goal that I'm headed towards, you know, so that's, that's how I'm kind of defining growth. Well, and that's and where it, bipolar comes from too and that is it's the people that are constantly pivot and they don't know how to like set it and establish mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. good. and then and, fi and finally purpose is is we're we're community creatures we're we are designed to be working towards something bigger than just our own ends you know there are personality uh types in the world that are rare that are that are kind of more just about themselves but as a general rule human beings are designed to be like, where do I fit in in this larger pur purpose? There's a bigger project that's not just about me, and I just want some role in it. And what's my role and what's the project? You know, that's how I'm kind of defining purpose. And I think for most people, if they have those three things, 
you know, and they're not in terrible health and danger and, you know, they're not, there's not a sword hanging above their head or some, you know, other thing. But, you know, under normal circumstances, people that have those things, those three things tend to be doing pretty well mentally. And those that don't have those things tend to not to be. And so um, like, like all models, that's an oversimplification, but I think it's, it's really been powerful and informative for me. Like if I really feel like, hey, I have good community, good growth and good purpose, I'm doing good. And if I'm not doing good, it's probably one of those three categories that is, is not working out. So um, I'd say that, you know, the big thing about No Tribe is to help others get that, those three things to the extent that I can, you know, I'm just one small player in a very big world. Um, and to help people that have trouble getting those things to get those things is kind of, I'd say the core thing. And, you know, what, where, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs and when we were talking before, you know, think kind of projects come and go and that kind of thing. Uh, for me, that's kind of like, that's the project in some way, shape or form that's gonna be until I can't do it anymore, <laughs> you know, that's kind of my thing. So I'd say that's kind of my overall goal, overall purpose is that. And then everything else is kind of details around those. No, that, that's a lot of value in that. Um, but I absolutely 100% agree with you. Um, it usually does like not almost 90% of the things do stem into one of those issues. And um, I would never underestimate the power of placebo. Mm -hmm. um, meaning that, uh, for example, there's a, a lot of people that you could prescribe a pillow, like a sugar pill, and essentially all the pain goes away. It does nothing for pain in that, but just this simple act of taking it does yeah. that. Um, so as, and that plays back into the mentality of an individual. Yeah. And that if you are kind of victimizing it in yourself or, um, putting yourself down and, and like, again, you could be feel fat, but you're starting to lose some weight in that. And then that uplifts you. Yeah. Just that simple act is enough of a, a, a placebo, if you will, to, to get where, and, and I, I mean, it could be the same thing. If you look in the mirror and you just, you have a little bit of less water weight and that, right. and so it makes it seem like you're thinner, but you're really not, right, um, right, but it right. does get that. Right. No. That yeah. Was, I mean, it, it, just, it triggers that thing in your brain like, hey, you're making progress. You know, you're making progress towards what we care about making progress to. That makes me happy. Yeah. And, and the case is, is that I think that it's it's not to devalue that experience or anything. Well, I think I think those experiences are important. Um, yeah. But if we don't understand, like, so for example if you do if that person loses that water weight but at the end of the day they've eaten a full set of meals and that now they feel crappy again yeah yeah and that's what sets that emotional roller coaster off right that makes sense yeah um so why i think that's important and to not uh, like to undervalue that placebo is because that is the sign or indicator of the subconscious of us trying to solve an internal pain point to set us on the right trajectory. So if we see that as a pain point and we aren't satisfied with our self-image, we aren't happy with that, we see ourselves as fat or whatever else, then that shows us that we need to accomplish something. But I mean, you can literally find an 80 pound twig um, 
like one of the Milan models that that literally looks like a Holocaust victim or something. She like every bone in her body is showing in that she still feels fat. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that. Yeah. So the perception of just saying that yeah. you are not happy with where you are. Right. And then figure out what that is. Yeah. Figure out what yeah. that true pain point is and that because we'll often find um, that it's not the material aspect that right. is the determiner of whether we're happy or not. Right. Um, and sure, yes. Um, when I was, you know, ripped and had an eight pack and everything else, it definitely is a self-confidence booster. <laughs> it, it's, it's awesome to get like attention from yeah. other people. Um, however, I realized that it, it's still like the, I still felt like that, you know, 30 or 80 pound weeb and that no matter what, it, uh, and granted, I'm pretty much back right to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I you've have, had a lot on your plate. <laughs> yeah, it, which, I, I mean, that's what kind of kids does to you. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I've seen it go both ways and that you either full on adapt the dad bod or the kids eat all the food in the house and you're <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and so it, it's very interesting, but anyways, to kind of get back to the point is, is what I found that, again, that that's so important as, as you said, it's either your tribe, your, uh, your community or, um, the, the other, what, what did you say the first? So the growth community and purpose. Yes. So community, I'm sorry, gro- community growth and purpose were the three. Yes. Say So growth community purpose and that, so either. Uh, growth I definitely comes into the progression of that. It's us trying to improve ourselves. Um, I would say that that falls into that category. If we see, see flaws in ourselves, it's usually something subconsciously that needs to be solved or grown to compensate for those insecurities. Yeah. Um, community definitely is, comes into us feeling loved and accepted and everything. Right. Else. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if we're feeling rejected, if we're getting everybody bashing on us, typically it's an association with us choosing to associate with people that aren't our tribe. Right. Um, there's a conflict there. And yeah. it's basically our body is saying like, Hey, you don't belong here. Yeah. And, and that's where that, that depression, suicide, all of that yeah. starts taking root. Um, and then the, again, the, the growth is where you're continually furthering knowledge and so forth. So definitely a lot of valuable principles that that alone, I mean, you can choose any one of these topics that we've discussed today and that will take we, we, you yeah, we, years. Yeah, it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah, we touched on, uh, literally, I think almost any of the 50 different things we talked about, you could do like a year-long course on just the details of that. Yeah. Well, what would you say is, again, I know we talked about the, those three principles being the main things that have been the most valuable for you. But if you're, if somebody's listening right now and they have no idea where to start, they have no idea what aspect of this start, what, what would you advise them? So I, I think for me, um, the big thing was self-reflection. So, so basically to have a, a point in time which for me was when I was transitioning out of the university and I was starting something new. This was about six years ago for me, sitting down and writing like, what, what are my actual values and what, like, what are my values that I actually care about and want to invest my time in, right? And then starting from that, 
Um, so self-reflection in terms of what are my values, self-reflection in terms of an honest appraisal to the extent you can get it, an honest appraisal of what am I good at and what am I not good at. So you know, if you want to head in direction, I need to supplement my skill set with people that um, are filling my strengths. And as you know, I, I'm assuming you can correct me, but as an entrepreneur, when you're starting out, you have to wear hats that you're not the best person for because you don't have a staff yet to do all of it. And that's just part of the it. money. Or Especially the money, yeah. You, <laughs> right. You, if you're bootstrapping like I am, you know, uh, you don't you don't have the resources to be like, yeah, I can know I'm bad at this, but 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 to just to actually understand part of that is like if you can who to partner with, partner with somebody who a definitely shares your values, but also is a is a complement to your skills. Um, but then also using kind of that self-reflection conversation to say like what do I actually want to invest my time in? Like, what is the bigger thing that I care about? And for me, like I articulated to you, you know, it took a long time to get here. I mean, what this wasn't like, yeah, I just, yeah, it just came to me, right? Yeah, I mean, it took a long time of reflection to be like, no, like, I think lots of people are struggling to find this. They don't even know. They just know they're unhappy. They don't understand what is necessarily missing that's making them, them unhappy. Mm-hmm. But um, I, to the extent that I can, uh, what is valuable to me is helping people find that thing. You know, find, find the, the, those three categories or the, one of the three that they're having trouble with uh, in a meaningful way. Um, and so my decisions became informed by that larger goal. So that, that's, that's what I would say. It's, it's hard to me to make intentional decisions when you're not, you don't have a big overarching thing that you're headed towards. You know, in our previous conversation, one of the things you said to me, which was a transformal thing for you was um, you wanted a family, right? And so you, that was kind of a big overarching thing for you. That was important to you. And so steps one, two, three, four became a lot more clear. You didn't know exactly what to do, but you, but you're, but you were much more informed because what is going to get me there, you know? And yeah. so you could, you could talk There's to other a roadmap people. or at least a compass direction. Exactly. It's a compass direction, right? It was a compass direction for you, you. That, uh, yeah, it was a compass heading. You're like, that's the destination I'm trying to get to. You know, I don't know exactly the route, but I don't, I certainly can't take a meaningful step until I have that destination. Um, and the, and the, the, the only other thing I would say is it's really, 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 really hard to resist the value system that you're surrounded with. But if you're gonna make your, be your own person with your own values, you have to. So one of the things about traveling, so in this last however many years, six years, I've lived in lots of different places. And you and like anyone will tell you who travels a lot, that helps you reflect on your own culture because you see how other people are doing it differently. And so when you're in your own culture, you don't know that there's different ways to do it. And then when you leave it, you're like, oh, that's there's actually different ways to think and do about this thing. There's things about the American culture that are really, really awesome for innovation and entrepreneurship. Really, really good. There's other, the, the, that's the upside of the American thing. The American ideal also is that you can be, start as low class and end high class, you know, or, or start not successful and end high school. You know, that's the American dream. And that's something that, um, that's something if you read the more I learn about history and stuff, that is such an incredibly unique thing, right? Through so much of history, your destiny you were born into and only one in a million broke out of it, right? In the United States, traditionally, um, that was an opportunity for you to come in, you know, come in low, poor, 
end up rich, right? And that's a really, really precious thing that we've had, at least as an ideal, although it's hard, it's getting harder to do that. Um, but, but so America's, you know, it's no surprise the vaccines came out, two of the best vaccines came out of the United States, right? That's the thing the United States is good at, is right, that innovation. We have excellent biotech companies that were founded by super smart people. A lot of them, some of them coming from other countries, a lot of them coming from other countries that are very motivated. We have a very great support system for businesses and that sort of thing. That's the great thing. The downside of the American system is um, it does put a lot of emphasis on individualism and it puts a lot of emphasis on sort of like uh, standing out among the crowd versus sort of a more collective attitude. And that can put a lot of a lot of individual mental pressure on you because the competition is intense here. You know, in the United States, if you are competing for attention or competing for fame or whatever, whatever your thing is, um, and it's about an individualism versus like, hey, I'm part of this bigger picture, um, it can be hard, mentally hard. So I, so I think the United States is really, really great place as an innovation engine, but it has some other aspects that can be hard on an individual person um, that, uh, that you sometimes you just have to step back. It's just kind of like looking at Instagram and being like, are my value systems really what makes people popular on Instagram? I mean, that just is a concrete example. And if the answers are, answer is no, then you know, have the courage and the ability to be like, okay, my value systems are different. I'm going to not participate in that thing. Um, so that would be the other thing. Well, even on Instagram, you can choose which values you coincide with. Because yeah. what you engage with is what you're going to see more of. Right, right. Um, so what you, again, feed, and that is going yeah. to emulate or take grant, uh, or root in your life. And uh, if you actually ask most people what they want, or um, if I ask them to describe their most ideal client or most ideal um, values and, and so forth that they're, they look for and that uh, it's amazing how often that most of the values that they're looking for do not coincide with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they would have to trans, uh, like completely change a lot of their habits. Yep. And so that's what I think is more important is, is that's establishing. So it's two things establishing a map for your mind. Mm-hmm and establishing a map for your soul, right? So establishing a map for your mind is putting all the clutter and everything, getting rid of all those objections and so forth um, that then are like, hey, what engages you about a subject? What doesn't engage you about a subject? Um, what the values are, what you want to coincide with, uh, and then orienting all of those skills around that person that because you will attract the people in your life that you are like yeah. so whatever is emulating in your life is who you're going to attract to yeah. you um it, because we all have those people that don't necessarily fit with that tribe and then we just disconnect from them we right we distance ourselves and so forth so it's that um connecting with your your soul is is more uh what is our true passions? What are, um, so again, your mind is more of a driven focus. It's the machine in that behind our life. The soul is the, the passion, the fill, the joy, the love, um, and everything else behind it. So if you can find topics that marry the two, then yeah. you're an unstoppable force. Yeah. Unless the bus hits you. <laughs> No, even when a bus hits you, I mean, there's a reason that some people in that, like, 
if you are truly connected with both your mind and your soul, there's literally nothing that can stop you. And that there, I'm sure, yeah, if you die or whatever else, but at that point you die happy. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people that you know that was disconnected is when those people that did get hit and that their whole goal and mind map and everything else was associated on a singular goal as opposed to a fluid goal. Mm. And that because if it was uh, a specific task, then that means if something fails, that you as a person in your root identity fails, which is means it's a false ideology. So the principle is, is if you find something that at least the core values, it goes back to, again, whether you're choosing religion or anything else, it's yeah. the core values that really matter. It's not which sector or anything else, which is why, at least for me personally, it doesn't matter what faith you are. It depends on what values you have behind you. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people even in the church that I belong to that those people don't have those values. Yeah. <laughs> so I like those aren't in my tribe, even if they are part of totally the your church. Community. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's mindset. It's all about mindset and growth and furthering themselves and bettering themselves and, and so forth. That's more important to me. So it's the same thing again with your personal life. If you have a lot of injuries or, or anything else, like say for instance, your entire goal and everything else was to become a gold Olympian, okay? You get, uh, and granted, even if you get your legs get decapitated or whatever else, you can still take Paralympics. Mm. And there's plenty of people that have done that because yeah. that was a good enough goal for them. Um, there's other ones though that took those same principles, became one of the most world-renowned coaches. There's other aspect of people that took those principles and helped um, engage with like high school students and taught them how to be successful and taught them or were became speakers and helped empower and influence thousands of different people. Um, so even though they had a lot of horrible things happen to them. It was the same core root values and being tied with both your mind and soul and a singular goal that allowed them to find success no matter what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that and makes total you sense. You go in depression and that because you're like, hey, you know what? I screwed up my main goal. But if you truly, again, chose something that you're passionate about, then you're okay with it. You're comfortable with it because it's still something that fills both of those. Yeah. You go ahead. I know that you were sound or, or it looked like you had at least a thought. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just, I actually think that's, I just thought that was a really interesting framing. I actually didn't. I was just listening to you. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts? I, I know that we've been kind of running over a little bit, but uh, yeah. No, I think this has been a, a super interesting conversation. Um, and uh, I just really actually just appreciate the time and the chance we've had a chance that you gave me to, to have it with you. No, it's been great to get to know you a little bit better. And I know the audience doesn't really get to see any of the conversation before. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've also been trying to keep these a little bit lower because we're, we're almost on an hour and a half now. Yeah, we went a little <laughs> bit longer than you. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, I figured, I figured that was I your... I keep my own disciplines. And that, I that figured that was your responsibility, not mine, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll just go... 100%. It is. <laughs> See, and that's one of the things is if you don't aren't concrete enough in that mindset or that's accomplishing that goal, then you can't blame anybody else but yourself for the result. 
but uh, but uh, it's also the sign of a good conversation and it's it's way better to go over than be you know 20 minutes in and run out of stuff to talk to well talk about I mean, when you're 20 minutes in and run out of stuff then that usually means that you're with somebody that you just can't connect with that's a bad date <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of that it's, it's definitely one of those uh so my mom just broke her hip <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> you know what? The time's getting late. Sorry, man. Oh, look at that. I got a phone call. I got to go. Yeah. No, man, it, it's been definitely a pleasure getting to know you. And I know that we have a lot of similar passions and we could go on and on about education or self yeah. and all these different aspects. Um, so I definitely think that we could probably have you on again. Um, oh, cool. Here and that and maybe choose a completely radically different subject. I yeah. think that's intriguing, honestly, just yeah. how quickly you can pivot, even though um, it's like it, most people think that if you're a tech or whatever, you can only discuss tech. And if you're this, you can only discuss this. And that's the furthest ideology from the truth. I mean, I can literally step in and I, I've actually challenged people to have me prove them wrong. Um, like, for example, I can step into framing and everyone will say, hey, that takes 10 years to learn. And I'm like, give me a month and I can outdo most of it better than anyone else there. Framing um, as in like picture frames? No, like framing a house. Oh, framing. Oh, oh, like framing a house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. There's a, by the way, there's a really cool YouTube video. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but he's this really old school house framer. And, you know, all the house framers now, they'll use like pneumatic nail guns and stuff like that, right? Really but this easy. guy, this guy is a hammer and... I swear to God, it's mesmerizing. I mean, I've watched him for like 40 straight minutes. He's the best person with a hammer I've ever seen in my life. And he just does, he did these instructional videos of how to frame a house. And you just see this dude with a hammer and it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. I think so, I know who you're talking about. Because, and the reason I bring that up is I kind of had to learn. And did you have to frame a house? Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to learn because, well, the contractor we had, really screwed up a lot of different things like a lot of different things and uh, at that point i was like you know i might as well have just done it myself and uh so i had to gut like half of it and redo all of it i ended up having to do all and set all the trusses myself um, wow that's a lot of work everything yeah, yeah. miserable by yourself by the way yeah. um <laughs> you need at least somebody and that and that goes back to the community and that but anyways, kind of the whole point of that is um, anybody can accomplish any skill set whatsoever. Um, I could step into, again, whether it was framing or whether it was uh, uh, programming or anything else. Now, granted, like when I did certain programming and certain things, I, I learned programming granted when um, that was like, there wasn't a lot of the debugging tools that we have today yeah. yeah and so you could have one space in the wrong point and it yeah. throws all your code and you'd yeah. have to literally go through line by line yeah. and end up having to rewrite half the code and that was the most aggravating sure frustrating thing for me ever yeah yeah <laughs> i just totally. could not um so it's not saying that you should do everything um but you could literally anybody listen to this you can literally step into any field any skill set anything else and if, as long as you understand some core values, you can outperform most people that have been in the industry for for years, if not most of their life. So, uh, would you ever frame a house again, though? 
Uh, yeah, I, I would. Granted, I blew out my knee and a few other things. Uh, <laughs> so, so that I, was I, me being a dumbass and uh, lifting way too much. I was lifting. So I worked. I worked really pounds. briefly with a guy who built his own homes from the ground up and beautiful big homes. I mean, this was the hardest working, most skilled dude. I mean, when it came to home construction that I'd ever encountered. I mean, he knew all of it, right? And I, I worked with him for about. I think it was a month or two. And I was just, I was just his kind of assistant, you know? And uh, it, it was, first of all, it's amazing how much stuff when he gets into that is incredibly dangerous. Like so much stuff around construction is dangerous and not even just falling off ladders. And I had some stories about stuff like that, but stuff like you're just carrying heavy things in awkward ways. And I mean, it was, it's just a, it's just a lot of danger there. Um, it's so easy to get hurt but also the two things he would hire out so he would do everything for the house the two things he hired out were the foundation and the drywall and uh i've done drywall i'm assuming maybe you have too if you've done framing uh but the guys that actually do drywall can do it like instantly <laughs> it's like they're so fast with it and they sand it all and everything you're like yeah that's i'm gonna go ahead and contract that like uh, cause I, cause doing drywall yourself, I think is a huge pain in the butt. Um, and then vaulted the ceilings, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So it that's a good, that's a good one to, I think that's a good one to, unless you're trying to prove a point, just, you can hire some guys to do your drywall. No, a hundred percent. And that's where it's finding the passion. So again, it comes back to when I was younger and that everyone would always tell me what I could or couldn't do. And yeah. so I would intentionally build a business just to prove them wrong. Yeah. Show them that like, yeah, I could do this. And then once I proved the point and that, then I'd be like, okay, I don't give a rats about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, what was the whole point of all that time I invested and all that uh, resources and everything else I invested in that business that I could have otherwise allocated towards better things. Right. So for me, it, it quickly became a priority to figure out, okay, what do I need to, and to not let my pride affect my judgment um, and or other people's influence or judgments on me. Because uh, that was another thing that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I was told that I needed to get a real job, that business ownership was, and, and I mean, that definitely took a toll. Sure. Um, but also in a strange sense, it gave me that striving fuel. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to show you and build this up and so forth. Um, but just that's one thing that I would definitely make sure that when you're doing mapping your mind and your soul that you're making sure that it's for you right. and not because of something that somebody told you you should do. Right. Um, and that applies to any principle whatsoever in your life. So yeah. if you're feeling a disconnect in your life, I think that's where you need to look at first. It's definitely one of those. And if you are feeling the depression and so forth, then you'll look at those three principles that uh, Peter here was talking about. So as you accomplish both of those things and that, then you are a powerhouse that can really accomplish. I, like that's when I guarantee it'll feel like it might be like, you know, five-year journey or whatever, but everyone will think that you were overnight success. Yeah. So. That doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> doesn't really happen in real life but you know if someone's like actually you know what you're going to be an overnight success but like you know what i'll take it 
<laughs> well, it, I think everybody thinks that once they've got that point, that it just is over. It's game over. Yeah. The beautiful thing about life is that it's an ever a never ending continuation journey of mastery. Mm-hmm. Meaning that we can never, no matter what we do, no matter what we accomplish, no matter what um, we move forward, that there's never a ceiling that you can ever reach in this entire life. And there's never, you can never learn everything about any single one thing on life. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. But, and that's what to me is like, hey, that puts it in perspective that if, like literally if you spent your entire life learning just mechanics, for example, you will never learn everything about mechanics. You will maybe learn all the basics of that, but you will never learn like the full extent um, and know all the aspects and truly ever like master it, if you will. Well, it's hard enough to learn two languages as well. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in Mexico, so I've been studying Spanish again. Um, and man, it's just hard, you know? So you don't have to convince me that Jen, I'm never gonna know everything. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's literally people that, well, I just wanted to bring that up because there's so many people that are like, well, this person is like a master, this guy's a nuclear, you know, right, right, engineer or whatever. So he must be really smart and know everything, or this person knows 12 different languages, um, which there are people that do that. Yeah. Um, Kudos to them. That's not my skill set and everything. Not mine either. Yeah. It's just letting you know or putting it in perspective for them to say, look, you will never, ever, ever become the mastery in that. And it, that's not to be a negative thing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Because it means that you get to choose what is most important for you. Right. Um, you get to choose what's important, what it really connects again to the, the soul and, and mind together. Um, and then as you do that and you map that all out, uh, that's what really will allow you to make those monumental strides in that. Um, and it's usually it's we don't really determine what our priorities is until we get into the thick of it and things start deteriorating really fast yeah i think if you look back on even your business and building that SaaS product you you look back and say you know what the kind of the most pivotal moments is when things got really rough for a while Mm -hmm. and i had to pivot and figure out what my true priorities were what really mattered to the clients and so right exactly that's exactly right all right. Well, thank you again, Peter. Um, you, awesome. I, I, I know that we could continue this for another three hours, but <laughs> take care. You got, you got three kids to take care of, man. They're probably super impatient right now. Oh, they're destroying something outside. So, <laughs> Oh, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Pleasure. All right.